0: I mean, sometimes I think people, you know, if they were in that situation that I was in and they decided to scale back, they could look at that as a failure. I wouldn't look at it that way. I would say, like, if you're doing what makes you happy, then you're succeeding.
1: That's the voice of Chris Salomone, owner of Four Eyes Furniture, and I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is software to organize and manage your business. hello and welcome to building a furniture brand with ethan abramson the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business on this episode i sit down with chris salamoni owner of the southern california-based furniture company four eyes furniture now chris does not have what you would consider a traditional furniture company yes he builds furniture yes he has a furniture shop but he doesn't actually sell any of that furniture to make his living I wanted to talk with Chris because I see the path that he's taking, selling plans, making content, building a digital footprint, as the path that is being taken by the modern furniture maker. Industries change and evolve and grow to encompass the old and the new ways of doing things, and Chris is a solid blend of both. So follow along as we talk about the future of woodworking, how to price your furniture plans, if you could still succeed in the world of content, and much more. But let's start at the beginning of the story, before his first video was ever published, back to when he first developed a passion for furniture
0: making. I always say that I grew up very unhandy and consider myself unhandy to this day. Um, So for me, I was around 30 years old when I first got interested in woodworking. Uh, My wife and I had just bought a house and... In doing that, I had kind of gotten into 3D modeling in SketchUp. I found SketchUp and just started like drawing out interiors of houses. And then that kind of started leading into drawing furniture and and getting interested in that. Had never really done any woodworking or even like used a power tool, really. Um, But I started modeling up a bunch of furniture, either things that I saw and that I liked or then that kind of gave way to coming up with new ideas and you know drawing things that made no sense in terms of like actually constructing how you would construct something so from there I kind of started reverse engineering pieces like I would find a piece that I liked and look at how it went together and model it so I spent probably two years just like goofing around in SketchUp and kind of learning how joinery worked and how furniture actually went together before I ever actually cut a piece of wood and then Through doing that, spending a lot of time doing that, obviously, I wanted to see if I could build those things in real life. So I found a local community college that had a night course in woodworking. So I signed up for that. And in the first semester, it was like three hours a night, two days a week, where you'd go there and the instructor designed a project that we had to build. So we built this little cabinet that had all kinds of different joinery. Um, you know, not the way you would build something at all because you'd probably choose, you know, kind of one style of joinery to put everything together. But this one kind of went through all the different techniques so that you could build a lot of skills while making a pretty small and cheap project. So I did that and it came out good enough that I wanted to continue down the path. So then I took another semester and in that semester, it was just like open free time in the shop. So it was this huge shop with lots of industrial tools that are still nicer than the tools I have to this day. Um, And you could build whatever you wanted. Basically, you had an instructor there that you could ask. He was the expert. So, you know, if you didn't know what's the best way to do this or that, he would kind of guide you through it. So I designed a coffee table and built it. And it was not great, but it was good enough to kind of Let me know that it was something that I could do and that I enjoyed doing and gave me enough info to say, okay, here's like the tools that I think I would want to invest in initially. And I have the confidence to know that it can be done. So from there, just started buying tools, bought a bunch of grizzly tools initially, probably invested about $15,000 right off the bat, turning my garage into a workshop And started making things initially with the idea that I just wanted to build furniture for myself but I think I kind of knew in the back of my mind that I eventually once I felt like I had the skills that I wanted to start selling stuff so I as I said turned the garage into a workshop started building things um, and then kind of started creating a very small catalog of pieces that I thought I could build to sell so I spent probably a year year and a half doing that and then once I felt like I had a few pieces that were unique and nice enough. I started, um, putting myself out there to some like design blogs. So apartment therapy, design milk, I was able to get a few features there and that kind of got enough attention that I had some customers reaching out. So I was building furniture for clients at that point and trying to come up with new ideas. Although so this might be kind of fast forwarding or like a very abbreviated version of this, but essentially what happened was I was selling furniture, working a nine to five that had nothing to do with any of that in the meantime. So I kind of quickly hit the limit of what I could do where I pretty much only had the time to make maybe one piece a month. And I felt like I was having new ideas, but all of the orders that I were getting, I was getting were for existing pieces. So I was just building the same stuff over and over and didn't have any time to explore new ideas or grow. So that's what kind of led me into, okay, I, need, I either need to quit working so that I could ramp this, which there was, that was too much risk for me at the time, or I need to kind of step back from this and look at different things that I can do that will allow me to grow in different ways you know, as a woodworker and just in terms of, you know, being able to try out new things. So I was watching a lot of YouTube at the time and kind of saw that I think that there's a niche here that isn't filled that maybe I can fill. So I quit taking orders in the very end of 2015 and then maybe in March of 2016 launched my first YouTube video and kind of just went from there.
1: I want to go back to pretty much where it started where you were saying you were messing around with 3D models and mm-hmm. doing design plans and that was before you built anything and that right. idea is something that I'm I'm always fascinated by And I think you are a great person to talk with this about. So I just want to jump in here and it's the idea of the modern furniture maker and where the idea of the furniture maker profession is heading because as technology progresses and we've seen that from hand tools to power tools and power tools to more woodworking technology, the the role changes. And, you know, I'm talking about small to medium shops because all big giant shops are already fully automated to, to a major degree, but these smaller shops in a couple of years, it feels like the actual physical building is going to be more of a passion project than the actual way you build stuff. I feel like the idea is going to be more of a furniture maker is somebody who designs pieces And then sends them over to a CNC or a 3D printer or whatever device they have. And that builds it. And, you know, who knows, maybe if I keep doing this podcast in 20, 30 years, then the idea of a furniture maker will be somebody who just does it all digitally and sells, you know, a digital version of, of a piece of furniture. So I know, I know, I, I think about this a lot. So I know I went off on a little bit of a, a tangent there, but just thinking about your ideas as somebody who still builds things and is still a furniture maker in the traditional sense, but is also very involved in the the digital aspect and the plans aspect.
0: Right. I mean, everything that I build, even if there's, you know, no CNC cutting in it or anything, it's still all fully modeled out in SketchUp. That's the way that I personally work. I'm not saying that that's like the right or best way to work. I think it's you know kind of depends on the individual and how their brain functions but I do think that it's definitely worth it for anybody who's just getting interested in it right now to at least try out a few different platforms so whether that's you know Fusion 360 or SketchUp or uh, I messed around with another one that's for the iPad called Shaper 3D I think it's called Um, just try them out like you can usually get a free trial and goof around with a little bit see what's intuitive to you because we kind of talked about this in a recent video that Sean took the lead on which was like five ways that you can get started woodworking now even without tools and like SketchUp taught me so much about woodworking before I ever actually cut anything that it was hugely influential and I sometimes I wonder if something like that didn't exist, would I even be able to do the things that I do? Um, yeah, I'm sure I would have found a path there eventually, but I lean on it very heavily in my workflow now. Um, like I said, whether or not there's anything that's actually digital digitally fabricated in whatever piece I'm building,
1: I'm just very excited to see where the industry goes as somebody who is very much a Luddite when it comes to building things. And I'm very much a hands-on hand tools type of person. I'm still Mm. very excited to see where, where the industry goes based on, based on digital, digital fabrication.
0: Do you personally use like CNC's or anything like that?
1: I do when it's an appropriate time to use them. But in my mind, when I'm thinking about building things, I Mm -hmm. just automatically revert back to this, I don't know, 1800s sense of building furniture where I I think of how it's built rather than it in a a digital space.
0: Okay. So I I think I have this kind of like hybrid way that I tend to think of it. So we... When we first got our X-Carve Pro, which was probably about a year ago, I would say, one of the questions we always get whenever we use a CNC on any project, so typically the, the way that we use it most typically is to create templates for ourselves that then help us make you know, different shapes that we end up cut cutting using like a table saw and routers. Um, and so the big question that we always get is, why don't you just cut out the whole piece on a CNC? And so when we had our smaller X-Carve, like, yeah, you could technically do it, but it would actually take longer um, to make the piece a lot of the times. So then once we had this X-Carve Pro, it actually got to the point where, oh, now we could probably cut the piece out faster than we could make it using table saws and, and handheld routers. So... We were building a chair at the time and we decided, and the whole kind of like side structure of the chair is all how I just described where we made templates for ourselves out of quarter inch MDF and then used those to actually um, build it using handheld routers and table saws. But I decided to make another kind of side assembly where we just cut the whole thing on the CNC to see if we could do it and what the result would be. And Kind of where we landed and and this is what I would probably do if, you know, YouTube disappeared tomorrow and I had to just create a line of furniture to sell where and I was going to be the one responsible for fabricating would be this sort of hybrid way where you do a lot of the work on the CNC and then the last little bit is done by hand to kind of like clean up and refine things because what we found is that you could essentially just kind of like cut the pieces out oversized and then make sleds that are, you know, pre-set up, your table saw is pre-set up to cut just the joint face because you actually do get a cleaner finished piece doing it that way rather than just cutting the whole thing on the CNC. Um And so when I first got into woodworking, I think I, I saw this like split of like, okay, what way am I going to go? Am I going to be, a table saw and planer and all these, or am I going to get a CNC and that's going to kind of be my only main tool and I'll make stuff out of plywood. And a lot of people do do that. And I think that's the stuff that you tend to think of when you think about CNC furniture, when in reality, a lot, most of the stuff that you see that you think of as like handmade probably has some component of digital fabrication taking place, whether it's actually being cut on a CNC or doing something like we do to make templates for ourselves on a CNC. Um, and like, honestly, doing that little experiment showed me that it would be the way that I would go just in terms of like how much faster I think I could work that way.
1: The hybrid model, especially with woodworking technology, CNC machines, et cetera, being so much more accessible to the everyday shop now is definitely sure. where it's where the furniture business is headed because it saves you time and it it saves you money. End of the day, it's definitely something people should be investing in.
0: Yeah. And like, what are your, when people ask you, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about starting a furniture company. I want to design custom furniture or whatever. I'm sure you get asked that from time to time. Like what's your general approach to it? If, if you were starting today, what would you do?
1: You're jumping ahead. That's that's usually my question to you. Now I feel like you're <laughs> going to be cheating off my answers. What I say, and which is the main reason I, I started this show and I have so many different guests on, is that it's a big unanswerable question without a lot of the finer details put in. Like what type of furniture maker do you want to be? Do you want to be a purely digital fabrication shop that you're just making multiples of something? Do you want to be a throwback shop to only hand tools and you produce one piece every 10 weeks and that is, you know, purely done by the sweat of your own brow. I think there are so many different ways that that people can go into furniture now that that there is not that just one way. You know, for for example, you are a furniture business, but not in any of the traditional sense of what a furniture business would be seen as even 10 years ago. Yeah. And so it's a it's a constant evolving thing, and that is because of the woodworking technology, but it's also because of the digital technology out there and the way people can get their name out. And yeah. going yeah, going back to something you said about when you first decided you were going to go into building furniture. And before you decide to go the, the YouTube route, when you wanted to do your own collection of furniture, which is something that a lot of people have that, that dream of doing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you, you said that instead of just going to local designers or selling to local people, you sort of went over that and you went directly to the tastemaker websites and, right. and people who can really get your name out there. And that might seem like, oh, that's an easy choice to make. But a lot of people don't make that choice. A lot of people start small and try and grow. But you started big and had the idea that it would trickle down to clients. So
0: it's funny because I feel like it was a small window that existed. So yeah, like if you go back, 20 years, obviously, that would not have even been an option for a person. You would have to do it more like locally and then hope that it spreads out from there. And then sometimes I'll get that question from people now where it's, you know, maybe something along the lines of how do I like get myself out there and get noticed so that I can reach clients? And I tell them, here's what I did, but that was in, you know, 2012 or whatever, Whereas now I don't know like, you know, those design milks and apartment therapies, I don't know that they have the clout that they had at that time. And now I feel like it's more like you have to put yourself out there on your own on Instagram or wherever, you know, basically social media. And, and, and I guess the, the good and the bad of that is that everybody can and everybody is putting themselves out there and trying to be noticed that way. So, It feels like to get noticed that way you have to be doing something very special so it's not to say that it it can't happen but you have to be able to you know separate yourself from everybody else who's out there doing that or maybe go back to doing it the more local way
1: just talking about design sites like every single day you're getting three to five emails just from them on, on their email list and In each of those emails is probably 30 to 40 different designers worldwide that Mm -hmm. are doing amazing stuff, but you just get so lost in that. And the the designers just get so lost in that, that they can't really stand out. So yes, I think that the version now is building up your own following and your own niche niche. In social media, where people can find you, or like you said, going back to that that face to face interactions, going out and meeting your local designers and meeting your local clients, or going to trade shows and and meeting people like that. So th- there's definitely there's definitely a lot of people out there putting yeah. themselves out there, and you just need to find what works for you and it's different for for everybody.
0: Yeah, and I think it depends on what you want to do too. So if like, you know, you skew maybe to- more towards finished carpentry or something, then it makes sense that you should really focus on growing locally because you're going to be hopefully getting jobs where you need to physically be, you know, at the resident or whatever to get the job done. So You know, unless you're going to want to be flying all over the place carrying tools with you, then maybe design websites don't make sense. You'd have to be doing something extremely unique and high end to make that work. So I guess, yeah, it kind of depends what you want to do. If you were doing fancy cutting boards, then those are very easy to ship. So it makes more sense that you don't need to focus as locally.
1: This is a question that I've actually never gotten to ask anybody on on this show. So I'm excited about it because... Usually with a, a furniture business show mm-hmm. you follow the story of somebody who wanted to start their company and made that move into doing it and then went from there and we talk about the journey but your journey is that you started the company you started with a catalog of furniture and you saw how it was going to be playing out you looked down the horizon and you said that you didn't like where that was going and you sort of shuttered that furniture company in the traditional sense and started Mm -hmm. doing something else. You started doing the content, you started doing YouTube. So usually I talk about with people, what made them decide that they could go out and do this on their own. But for you, what made you decide this isn't the path that I should go down and I should reassess and I should take what I love about furniture and go a different direction.
0: So I think for me, it was really catered towards what I enjoy. So it wasn't necessarily that I was looking at the landscape and saying like, oh, there's no opportunity here. Like, I think there definitely is opportunity and I would have just had to have, you know, kind of Seen the trajectory that it was on and adapt from there. And I'm sure it could have turned into something, but the thing that really pushed me the way that I was, that I ended up going was more of like the, just simply what I enjoy doing. And so the part that I enjoy most is designing a new idea and then seeing that idea come to life. But the, prospect of making that idea come to life 30 more times just feels like work for me, which is fine, but it doesn't, it doesn't excite me. Like I kind of want to spend a little bit of time with an idea, take it as far as I need to, to be happy and satisfied with it and then move on to the next one, which if you're doing a catalog of furniture, you're probably shooting yourself in the foot by doing that. You probably are better off to kind of, you know, get known for probably honestly like one signature piece and maybe you have a catalog that branches out a little bit from there, but you know, not, you're not going to have 50 unique designs. Probably you're going to have more like, you know, five to 10 or something like that. Um, and so I was more excited about having that, you know, 50 different ideas that I can pursue over the course of the next five years rather than just like staying with these five. So That's what ultimately pushed me into it. I just felt like I was stagnating in terms of, you know, growing my skills and being able to pursue different ideas that I was having, that I was drawing. And that's the thing that ultimately pushed me in the direction that I went.
1: The idea of having your own company and the idea of doing something that you love every day seems like they should go hand in hand. But... They yeah. really don't for a lot of people, which is which is confusing for me, but I, I get it at the same time. I think the furniture business is such a hard business. Yes, it's a great business and, and there's there's amazing parts of it, but it's such a hard business, especially when you're starting out, that I hear people talking about it and just not loving it. And I wonder why they're doing it because you could go work for somebody else. You could go have a different type of job and you don't have to put in all that work. If you don't love what you're doing, or, or if you don't love, love is a strong word, (laughs) but if, if you don't respect the reason you're going in to work every day, or you don't remember the reason you're going into work every day, and it just becomes a grind like what what's the reason why these people are doing it and and that 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 that's a hard it's a hard balance because yes you want to work for yourself but at the same time why are you killing yourself to do something that you don't want to do yeah
0: you don't want to work for yourself at like the you might be happier working a nine-to-five and just doing woodworking as a hobby and that's okay that's perfectly fine or doing it as a side hustle where what I was doing, you know, I could have said, Hey, I'm happy selling 10 pieces of furniture a year. And I work a nine to five that I I by no means hated that life. I enjoyed my job and I liked the people that I worked with and it was comfortable. And you know, there's, there's reasons to do that and then say, "Hey, and I can make a little bit of extra money doing this hobby that I love and if one month I decide not to take a, a commission build so that I can build something for myself or so that I can focus on this, like that could have been a perfectly happy life to live. And I mean, sometimes I think people, you know, if they were in that situation that I was in and they decided to scale back, they could look at that as a failure. I wouldn't look at it that way. I would say like, if you're doing what makes you happy, then you're succeeding. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There, it's it's definitely something that I think about from time to time, even doing what I'm doing right now. Like there are times where it feels like a grind and I feel unhappy about it. I always try to step back and remind myself, like, here's what I'm doing. And in the context of, of everything else, you know, how my life could have played out, I'm very thankful and happy with where I'm at. But I also try to look into the future and say, okay, well, what things can I do to switch it up so that I can make myself happier? And, you know, if I had to point to the major things that I've done over the past, let's just say like three years, you know, when I first started YouTubing, making videos, and then saw myself going full-time with it, the thing that caused me a lot of anxiety was when I would look at the next year and think of like, okay, I'm going to need to um, make let's just say like 30 videos next year and I'm going to have to come up with 30 ideas. How the heck am I going to come up with 30 different ideas? Like it's not sustainable to come up with even 15 new unique pieces of furniture and build them and make videos of them every year. Like that's really hard. And so it got to the point where I was Doing that in the short term, but seeing that it wasn't going to be sustainable long term and also feeling like the things that I was building, I was only able to give it like 70 percent of the attention that I wanted to. And so I said, okay, I need to make a shift somewhere so that I can make this sustainable and and do what I really want to do. So that's kind of what created the partnership with Sean. He was in a similar situation. And wanting to do the plans, which was something that I saw as kind of a middle ground where it it would allow me to spend more time with a piece. You know, I could actually spend two weeks just working on a design and working out all the kinks and then spend a month building and putting the set of plans together. And I could justify that time because I'm not just making a video about it. I'm making a video about it, but I'm also creating this thing that other people can build and have and learn from. And it's, you know, a, a product or it's something that I have forever now that can benefit me and can benefit other people. Whereas, you know, video feels very transactional. You make it, hopefully you get to the point where it can be sponsored. You get that check and you move on to the next one. And that just kind of became a grind for me. So plans and partnering with Sean was was the way that I could alleviate that. And even now, as I'm looking on to next year and I and I reflect on this year, I only got to build probably what I would consider like five, between the two of us, maybe like five to seven kind of like signature pieces where we got to spend that time and really do what we wanted to do with those pieces. And that is not enough for me. I would like to do more of that. So as I look forward into next year, I feel like I want to step back a little bit so that I can spend more time on more unique projects rather than not filler content. Like we still, you know, every piece of every video we put out, we try to make as good as we can make it, but the subject matter of the video might not be the ideal thing for me. So that's my plan as of now going, that's how I'm going to change things up to make myself happy is do less content, but better content next year. And, some people could see that as stepping back i think it is a temporary step back but it'll help us to step forward and to keep it sustainable
1: stepping back to what i said before i just i just want to put a little asterisk on it where you don't always have to be happy when when you're working and and you don't always have to love your job i understand that people who are in the the furniture business We all haven't won the lottery, and we're not just doing this out of the the because we think it's fun and and it's enjoyable. Six
0: hours with a huge smile on your face.
1: Exactly. So I'm not. I'm. I want to. I just want to say. I just want to put the asterisks on that. That I'm not saying it. It's like you always have to be having fun, but just that you should want to be there and not hate it with every single part of your soul.
0: Right. I think that, um, yeah, woodworking is a kind of funny hobby because it's not fun in that sense of fun, but it's very satisfying, I guess, is like more of where the enjoyment comes from.
1: Definitely. Yeah, you you build something with your own hands or with your own mind. But at the end of the day, it is a, a physical product right. and it, you, yeah. you actually get to interact with it and, and have people interact with it, which is very yeah. satisfying.
0: It's, it's enjoyable on the macro, but maybe not on the micro level.
1: 100% stand behind that and and agree with what you said there. Another question that I haven't asked other people on this show is, is about pricing, but your type of pricing specifically, because usually I'm talking to people and we're talking about pricing, and <laughs> it is for an individual piece, a custom piece, and... You know, they talk about their time and their materials and shop costs and things like that, or it's for a collection and they have that standard pricing, but it's based on something. Yeah. The pricing that I want to talk to you about is how you're pricing your plans because YouTube and the content and the pictures, that is all. Your marketing. Like, yes, it is a, a, a whole other business in itself that it would, you know, with a long runway that we could talk about. But we're, for the plans, that is your marketing and how you're getting those plans out there. And yes, you're building things, but again, that is your marketing. You can't base the pricing of these plans based on how much it actually costs you to build stuff because that right. doesn't make any sense. I'm sure you know where I'm going with this question, but how do you? take into account your pricing for plans
0: right so yeah i mean it's it's all it's very tricky and we have a lot of conversations about this um and our plans are are definitely on the more expensive end but i think that they're also a very premium product in terms of you know when people i almost say they shouldn't be called plans they should be called like a mini woodworking course. (laughs) Cause we use like that same catch all term of just plan for everything. And that could be a cut list and a two page PDF versus ours, which are, you know, depending on the build, like an hour and a half of chapter, like 20 chapters of video content that walks you through every little step, explains everything along with like a 20 page PDF with all the dimensions and, and supplemental information along with SVG files or PDF files so that people can make templates for the project if it's a project that uses templates and the ability to actually purchase MDF templates from us if they don't want to produce them on their own and they want to just have us ship them to them so that they can make the project. So in terms of thinking about the price, it's weird. So, you know, who knows what the future could hold, but I'm happy with the the pricing that we use right now, which is generally speaking, it's about $90 as the baseline for a set of plans. And then depending on the templates needed for it, if you want the physical templates, you know, it could be anywhere from about like 20 bucks for the templates up to, you know, $60 for the templates, if there are a lot of them and it's, you know, a bundle of something. Um, so, I don't think that that's a really high price when I when I think about the context of everything that somebody's going to be spending on building a piece. So, you know, we spend a ton of time designing these pieces and creating the plans. I would say probably just building and creating the plans, there's probably about three to 400 man hours that go into creating a set. Um, and when somebody builds it, so, you know, they're going to end up spending say they spent 90 bucks on the plans, they're probably gonna spend anywhere from 500 to $1,200 on materials for the build, depending on what it is and what species of wood they wanna use. And they're gonna spend probably between 30 to 60 hours building the project, depending on you know their skill level and, and how fast they work. And they're gonna come out with a really nice piece of furniture, And they're going to come out with hopefully some new ways of thinking about how they can approach a project or different hard skills that they can use in making other things, whether it's their own design or somebody else's design moving forward. So I actually think that like the difference between a $90 plan and a $20 plan is almost inconsequential at that point because you're going to spend so much other money and time on this thing that it kind of comes down to what do you want to build? Do you want to build this dresser or do you want to build somebody else's dresser? And I feel like that should be the determining factor in it. Not, Oh, this one's $30 cheaper. Like that's, I, I feel like that's kind of uh penny wise and pound foolish to, to think of it that way. That said with a digital product, it's really hard to price. So if you told me, Hey, if you sold your plans for five dollars, you'll sell a million of them. I would say, well, that's five million dollars. So I will sell them for five dollars. But I don't think that that's the case because I think that our plans appeal to a, a very specific kind of person that is, you know, at a kind of intermediate to advanced level that sees the value in these plans and and they know they're going to get a piece that looks good and they're going to learn things. Um, in the journey to creating that piece. And so I don't think there is a market of a million people who would be remotely interested in our plans. They probably wouldn't, there's there's not a million people that would want our plans. If I told them I'll pay them $5 to watch them, let alone they have to pay $5 to get them. So I, I feel like we're priced right. You know, that could change with time. I, I don't know. There's no way of knowing, but you know, so far it's been good. The people who buy them, are very satisfied with them. Anytime there's anything we miss in the plans, it's nice to have it be a video set of plans because we can go in there and add something into that chapter and then it's it's better for every person moving forward. Um, having it be a premium product give, gives us the ability to answer individual questions when they come up. So I'm very happy with where they're at right now and I'm really happy to see that the people who've bought them are very happy with them. That's kind of like the ultimate barometer for me, I guess, at this point.
1: Without it sounding like an infomercial for your plans, I agree with what you're saying. Your plans are are premium, but they they're premium because of the quality that you put in. And it's not that it's just woodworking plans. It is an apprenticeship. And depending on how many you build it is an extended apprenticeship, because the skills you're learning there, building these pieces, aren't just one-off things, they're skills to build your, they skills to build your skill, or, I don't want to say skills twice. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're ideas to build your skill set to a point where you can go off and, and build your own things. So right. with, with the fear of having to change the name of this podcast, <laughs> do you feel like you are a furniture builder or do you feel like you are a furniture teacher at the end of the day?
0: I feel like if I had to choose one of those, I would say builder um, who documents it very heavily so that it can be taught. I guess would be kind of the way that I think of it. Like I, so I don't consider myself like a really great woodworker. Um, I think I'm serviceable, which I think is kind of good from, in terms of like the plans, like there's nothing special about me that's enabling me to be able to build these things. I I really think anybody that's average or even slightly below average in terms of their skill level, you know, if they have, they can do it. Like I'm proof that it can be done because there's nothing special or good about me when it comes to being a woodworker. Um, I think that even though I don't consider myself a teacher or a good woodworker, I think that I am good at showing what I'm doing. Um, And part of that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which was my, you know, two years of using SketchUp before I ever cut a piece of wood I can explain things very thoroughly and a lot better than just like showing the finished result on camera. I can animate things and explain why something works or show how to set it up with really detailed drawings and animations that make it very um, digestible for a person. So yeah, I, I guess I, to that initial question, I would still say more builder than teacher but um, it's very heavily documented and, and makes it a good teaching resource.
1: Something that I talk to a lot of people about is that the furniture business is two things. It's furniture and building furniture and making furniture, but it's also the business side as well. And you said you are not the best furniture maker out there. And that's something that you should not be ashamed of, because it's, if it was just furniture, if everybody was just building furniture, then the people who were the best furniture makers would be the best. But as a furniture business, you have to be well-rounded and you don't have to be the best at building furniture and you don't have to be the best at the business side, but you have to be the best at combining those two and knowing both sides of it and knowing your clients and knowing your pricing and knowing where you're supposed to be selling things and where you're not supposed to be selling things and so it's not always the people who have the best skills with building it's the people who can build the skills that they have into a business
0: right i've always so i've always kind of saw woodworkers as falling into two paths and there's kind of the people who really enjoy the process of woodworking and the people who like the result of woodworking and I see myself much more as a person who likes the result so I want to get to that result in a way that is most achievable for me and not necessarily so so like something like dovetails right they're fine. And if you love dovetails, that's awesome. And there's definitely a value for that. For some people, you know, there's, there's some people who put a value on that and would pay more for a piece of furniture because it has dovetails. But I, I honestly think most people don't care about that. Most, most of the people who care about that are probably other woodworkers. Um, whereas most people, what they really care about is the finished look of something or the result. Like that's, what's going to either say like, yes, I want to buy this piece of furniture Or, no, I don't want to buy this piece of furniture. And if it has pocket hole screws or it has dovetails, it doesn't really matter to them. So, yeah, I very much um, fall into that first category. And I think that maybe people should decide which category they fall in, which they enjoy, and then go about it from that frame of mind.
1: It's funny. I used to do a lot of big events with my furniture and I'd have a booth at a design show and thousands of people would walk by and I'd talk with them about my collection of furniture and the people who took the most interest, the people who were going to the pieces of furniture and and looking at it and and asking about the joinery and looking how it was put together those were the people that I knew that they were other furniture makers and yeah, I knew that gonna buy <laughs> I, yeah I knew I knew that they weren't you know they weren't a store they weren't a, a supplier they weren't uh, a client I knew that they they were interested because they wanted to build something similar
0: yeah honestly if you if you want to impress other people, me and Sean goof around about this sometime. Learn how to install Bloom soft close drawer slides really well, because that'll impress more people than dovetails will. Like you could build the nicest piece of furniture, and they'll come up to it and open the drawer and close it, and be like, "Oh my god, that's so nice!" And it's like, all I did was install Bloom drawer slides.
1: It's true. Well, that and that goes back to the balance of the furniture side and the business side. Like, where are you going to get the most, the most excitement for what you're putting out there and where should you put your energy in to building, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful to have all solid wood drawers for a piece. And yes, there is a market for that. And there are people who are buying that type of furniture, but at the same time, if your market's not supporting that and your pricing and your clients aren't looking for that, then there's no shame in making a plywood drawer box.
0: Right. Yeah. I think it's kind of what you just said, like find, I mean, first off, ultimately, hopefully you can base that decision on what you enjoy. So if that is what you enjoy, then go down that path and cater towards that clientele. Like, you need to be the high end of things where you're gonna spend, like you were saying, 10 weeks building a piece of furniture and that's gonna have to have a really high price tag and it's gonna be a very specific kind of clientele that's gonna make a business like that sustainable or you can go totally in the other direction and things are put together in the most efficient, quick way possible and it's just about that finished shape and you can put things out more quickly and sell them is cheaply a word more cheaply, less expensive? You can make less expensive products
1: i'll go I'll go with I'll go with either. Cheaply, cheaply.
0: <laughs> yeah, get it in Webster's.
1: but yeah, it, it depends on the type of furniture company you want to have. and yeah. a lot of call outs in in this in this episode where we're just bringing it back to what we said in 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 previous answers, but, going back to the start when you flip the question around and asked what I would tell people to that were trying to start a business and asking what type of business do you want to start is the real question that is you know that is it do you want to be that super high-end furniture maker or do you want to put out 50 pieces a week it, it all depends on the type of of builds you want to do and and end of the day what is making you the most money what's the most sustainable for you and what you end each day enjoying the most
0: yeah couldn't agree more
1: so there are people out there who are looking to start their own furniture business but they might not want it to be a traditional furniture business in the sense of just going in and, and doing bench work and building things all day and they they see your journey and they are very interested and they're very excited in following a path like that. And there's mm-hmm. people who have been doing this for a long time and have, been really working hard at what they're doing but they're just not seeing the results that they they imagine in their mind obviously you don't have lightning in a bottle you can't just say here you go now you are a big time success and sure. you know if that was the case you would probably sell that on your website along with your plans and that <laughs> that would be your 5 million dollars right there but there are parts of your journey that that stand out for you and
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and those are the things that are the teaching moments so what are some of those moments what's some of that advice that you could give to people who are looking to get to where you are
0: i mean so one of the most common questions i get has to do with or comes from people that you know want to be youtubers or content creators or whatever um and you know they'll often ask like if you were starting today, what would you do? Or is the landscape oversaturated at this point? Like, you know, is it too late to start something? And I don't think that it is. I definitely think it's still possible to create a new channel and have it explode. Um, and I think that there's a lot of people that are capable of doing it, but I don't think that everybody's capable of doing it. And I think it's people should be honest with themselves and, I guess kind of the questions that you should ask yourself are, what are you good at that's unique and that hopefully isn't being served already? Or is there something you can do better than the things that are being served already? And what you enjoy doing ultimately, if you want to you know, make it sustainable and, and actually like doing it. And then being willing to put in the time or or I guess accepting that you're probably going to do it for quite a while without any return or big result from it and being okay with that. Because otherwise you're probably going to get discouraged because more likely than not, at least early on, if you're going to, you know, ever get traction and blow up, it's probably going to be a little slow going in the beginning. And that's just like how it is because it's hard to put yourself out there and, and get noticed and, you know, have it take off from there. So I think if you're, if you can answer those first questions of like finding that thing that is underserved, that you enjoy and are good at doing, and you, and you can honestly say, yes, this is something where there's an opportunity, then that gives you the green light to go ahead with it. But then being willing to put in that time and realize that results are going to take a while and, you're going to be putting in a lot of work initially for very little return um, if you can be okay with that then then i think that those are the two ingredients that say go for it
1: putting in the work putting in the work and being able to understand that it's not a overnight thing and that you need to understand if this is something that you want to do, that you need to be in it for a long time. You need to put in the work. Yep, That's true in YouTube. That's true in content. That's true in building a furniture brand. That's true in life in general.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's a cliche for a reason.
1: It is. Well, th- those are the best ones, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, thank you so much for your time. This has really been a a great conversation. I feel like if we listen to this episode again in in 10 years, then the relevance of of everything you're saying, it's going to stand out and and people are going to understand that that is where the industry was heading. So
0: Hopefully. And and $90 will probably seem cheap by then too.
1: (laughs) Well, $90 will include the entire digital... piece of furniture that people will put in their digital house, that (laughs) that Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I really do appreciate you sharing not only your story, but your knowledge and your advice with everyone listening.
0: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks so much for listening to building a furniture brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at TheBuildWithEthan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.